Hello everyone. So in this episode, we disputed the topic of US banks declaring that they will be the custodian of Bitcoin for their customers who want to buy Bitcoin. So essentially what Wellsimple does for their users that want to buy Bitcoin is what will be reflected in US banks. And this topic is something that Keegan and I had different opinions on for some aspects of it. We also went into talking about what front running is and how it can be used to your advantage in this case with respect to Bitcoin. And we talked a little bit about Ponzi schemes and money in general. So a really quick warning, somewhere in the middle of this episode, Keegan talked about Ponzi schemes and tried to explain uh, an analogy of how all money is a Ponzi scheme. But I highly encourage you to listen to the entire episode because we uh, we cleared that up because it might have gotten a little bit confusing in the middle with respect to that analogy. So I encourage you, highly encourage you to, if you get to that part where we talk about Ponzi schemes, definitely get to the end because we summarize that entire uh, analogy or phenomenon that you can look through to understand money. And that, that is, that's all. This was a really fun episode for us to record because Keegan and I had different views on this and it was, uh, it was fun to have a healthy debate and hopefully you will enjoy that too. You will definitely have both perspectives on the issue. So without further ado, let's dive in. The thoughts and opinions expressed by Keegan Francis, Murgakshi Palway, and the guests interviewed on the Go Full Crypto podcast are solely their own. The content discussed are intended to be for informational purposes only. Okay, Murga, interesting news coming out of the crypto space this I, week and for the last couple of months. Actually, two pieces of uh, interesting news. So the first one is that banks have declared that they are going to adopt Bitcoin and be custodians of Bitcoin for um, those individuals who want to buy Bitcoin. And then the other thing is also the Indian government. They said that they are not going to ban trading of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and the banks essentially can do whatever they want. So the, yeah, the banks within India, but what's the central India. bank called in India? What's that called? CBI, the, Central Bank of India. Yeah, right. They're like, hey, other Indian banks, you're free to set your own rules. Not this, no, no, not the Central Bank of India. So the government of India is different from the central bank. And gotcha. like um, previously, the bill was taken to the Supreme Court to of India to say, hey, just ban crypto like India wide. Right. Um, but now the government has said, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> if, if you want to do that, do go, go for it. And they flip flop so many times on that decision. Yeah. That's not, con- I mean, sure. So what, you know? That, yeah. True. True. Good. Yeah. Like don't say that as a bad thing. Well, I mean, it, you would think that they'd come to, qu- to come to a consensus and then carry that consensus forward into the future. Uh, no, I, I actually don't think that because like the volatility of Bitcoin, <laughs> that that surfaces every time there's a bull run um and even during the bear market it really just truly shows what how how many people are um in it for the long run for the long haul so the same way the volatility of some country who is going back and forth on whether or not uh crypto is a good thing or a bad thing i think it's fine that you know someone goes back and forth at least something is happening about it it is in the news it is in people's or the government officials mind so the, the cultural zeitgeist i don't think that's i don't think it's a bad thing at all cool you changed my mind 
Okay. <laughs> All right, but okay. In major news, though, U.S. banks have declared that they will start adopting Bitcoin uh, as uh, being custodians for Bitcoin. Yeah, and this is this is pretty uh, this is a pretty bullish indicator for Bitcoin. So we've just been. Through you the, think? Well, <laughs> I th- this is what I we're going to talk think, about. But yeah. I mean, like objectively, it really is. Like I, I can't really see the the price of Bitcoin going down in reflection of this news. I think that'd be extremely unlikely. Um, I was just about to say that, like in the month of April, we saw quite accumulation period for Bitcoin. Like it a what period? An accumulation period. Right. Uh, so it was just capitulating and finding its price. It's uh, figuring out what what is its new floors, setting new lows, but also set a new high at sixty five thousand US and set a new low at forty eight thousand and just. A lot of people have been messaging us like, hey, are you worried about Bitcoin? It's like, no. Or what is happening with Bitcoin? What's up with Bitcoin? This is pretty normal. I think we covered that a couple episodes ago. But yeah. Yeah. It's just very good context because uh, like one of the things that could be happening right now uh, in the States is that these banks are, are figuring out how to get the services in front of their clients in the way that benefits them because i think up until you now, know benefits the banks benefits mean. the banks that's, yeah. that's, that's that's right how do they offer them a service where the service ultimately undermines their business model uh what do you mean ultimately undermines their business model well the whole one of the whole things about bitcoin is that you don't need banks you can be your own bank if if you are a bitcoin holder right so that's the problem that i have with it and uh, i, I want to state an example so someone reached out to me today uh, a friend referred me to their friend and um he was telling me that he bought for the third time he made a purchase the first two went fine but the, for the third time he used his debit card to purchase um cryptocurrency off of one of the exchanges and it got declined on the exchange but the debit card transaction shows that it was debited from his account so he talked to his bank and he said that um, the bank said to him that you cannot dispute any transactions that have been used to buy crypto and then he talked to the cryptocurrency exchange support team and they said that the money never showed up on the exchange because it was declined in the first place so his question was, okay, where is the, my money <laughs> and who do I talk to if I want to get it back? Because it you know, wasn't a small amount. And I, I had a conversation with him and I, and I told him that like, I can't see the cryptocurrency exchange taking your money and telling you that they don't have it because they have nothing to gain by just holding your fiat. They'd lose you as a customer and you know, they probably wouldn't have you interact with them, which is more valuable to them than lying to you about holding your money. Right. The bank, on the other hand... Has plenty to gain. Has, well, plenty to lose by uh, by allowing people to withdraw their money and put it into something else. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. So, uh, like, the bank... And also, you know, the fact that when he spoke to the support team at the bank and they said very clearly to him, we don't... We don't dispute or like we can't talk to you about you disputing any transactions on uh, any crypto transactions that you have made with your debit card, which is just like stopping the conversation right there and, you know, disallowing him to inquire even further. Because if they have that rule, they're like, oh, you know, you bought it with your debit card. Sorry, can't talk to you about it. So (laughs) what else is this person supposed to do whose money got debited and he doesn't know where it is if the bank won't talk to him about his money? that they were holding 
So the reason why I brought this example up is um, now banks are starting to hold Bitcoin as well. And sure, like positive for everyone, yay. But like think of the long run where what if someone wants to withdraw their Bitcoin for whatever reason and move it to an exchange and the bank says... Or, or a self-custody wallet. Or self yeah. Or just like, you know, take it off of the, out of the bank. And the bank's like, nope, sorry, you can't do that because we are going to hold your Bitcoin forever. Right. And we already see services like that in existence right now wealth simple being one of them paypal being another you can't withdraw your bitcoin from these services because well bitcoin undermines their business model if you can just self-custody the funds and reap the rewards of them then there's no reason to use wealth simple or paypal yet they're offering them anyway because their customers are going to go out and find a way to get access to those assets like bitcoin regardless of if they use paypal or not so i think the rationale is we might as well offer the service but essentially gatekeep and restrict them from moving the, the funds off the platform. Well, there's two two ways to look at that. And sure, one way is what you just said. The second way is some people just are not going to be able to safe, safe keep their funds if they um, hold Bitcoin the way that they're supposed to. You know, like with the whole backup phrase, not leaving it on the exchange if you have no use for it. And right, like, in a self-custody way. In a self-custody way, some I think like the average individual is not taught that sort of responsibility. So absolutely, I'm. I'm actually. We got an email this week of an individual that found himself the victim of a scam, where he was not self custodying his funds. Uh, he was told that if he sends money into this account, then they would buy Bitcoin for him. Um, and the long story short of that is, uh, he was like he trusted that party to do the right thing with his money, A, buy Bitcoin, and B, let him withdraw the Bitcoin or his profits at a later date. And uh, yes, again, the long story short of that is uh, this was a scam, and so they don't allow you to withdraw your funds ever. But no, I'm not saying that banks are scams. I'm saying that the, they'll, they'll show you the same treatment with respect to not allowing you to withdraw your funds. They might. They might. Uh, yeah, they might. Not yeah. that they will. So coming back to Wealthsimple, yes. Um, one reason is that, oh, if Wealthsimple doesn't catch up to what people want to invest in, then they're not providing the best service to their customers. And on the other hand, uh, Wealthsimple is um, enabling people who you know just don't know how to take care of something that is very, very rudimentary, very basic um, about safekeeping your crypto assets. Wealthsimple provides them uh, the access to invest in Bitcoin, but not the responsibility that comes with it that, that some people just don't want. Right. Yeah. And I actually, so I take the position that this is a net positive and just overall a good thing for the crypto space and, and the Bitcoin space because people are a, getting exposure to Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and learning about it at, at whatever pace. So if that's a slow pace where you're giving up the, the like you said, the responsibility of self-custodianship, I think that's overall a good thing because then they're they're learning about that slowly. Um, you said it's the basics, but I, I think that those basics are not very basic for a lot of people. No, like it's very I, abstract to have your 12 keys, uh, 12 words and have that represent ownership over funds. That's a difficult concept no, to grasp for a lot of people. It definitely is difficult. I, I didn't mean basic in the sense that, um, you know, like it's something that everyone would just know. Basic in the sense that it, it's so like, so simple, but very simple in the sense that, oh, this is all you have to do. Um, back up these 12 words, make sure you don't lose them. Um, if, if you have your Bitcoin on a non-custodial wallet. 
but it's so simple that we are not used to that level of simplicity for responsibility. I think like I'm just thinking of it in a different way. <laughs> but another way to phrase that is also um, being online and having accounts on so many platforms with the ease of already signing with Facebook, signing up with Google, signing up with whatever other medium that we don't really have to remember much anymore. Even when the browser says, do you want me to remember your credit card number? Do you want me to remember your username and password? So like things digitally are ultra, ultra convenient for us. And Bitcoin doesn't offer you that convenience because you have to take care of a responsibility of remembering your 12 word phrase or 20 word phrase. Right. Yeah. And on that tangent or on that line of thinking, uh, Bitcoin security or cryptocurrency security is fundamentally different than the security practices that the majority of the population has been learning for the last two decades. Right. Like you said, we're all used to email and password and we're all used to a fail safe in the, in the event, the inevitable event that we've all forgotten whatever password would be used for that service that one time that we signed yeah, up. Exactly. Right. And there's no forgot your password on, on Bitcoin wallets. If you forget your password, then that's it. You lose your money and there's no recourse. There's no Bitcoin hotline. And I, I think that's one of the things that the banks are going to offer people. So I, I do think that they will offer they will allow people they will bring a lot of trust to the people in Bitcoin, which is kind of counter to like, yeah, Bitcoin is supposed to make it so you don't need to trust the banks, but people don't trust Bitcoin because they don't understand it. Right. But so they, they trust their financial institution, they trust their bank. And so the banks, ironically, will bring a lot of trust to Bitcoin through the trust that they've already established with, oh, but it's uh, such with their population. An, it's such an indirect trust, though. And it's, it's a really, very indirect trust. <laughs> it's really not warranted because banks operate as businesses. They used to act simply as custodians of your funds back in the day, decades ago, more than a century ago. But then when you have access to so much money, you're going to you're going to think, oh, I have so much money sitting here doing nothing. Might as well make money, more money off of the money that I'm taking care of for these people over top of the fees that I'm already charging these people. So banks really just operate as businesses. But for some reason, the like the word bank has such a social cultural impact on people that banks just mean trust when it's really not warranted anymore they they mean trust but but yet i like i know a lot of people in my generation they don't they don't trust banks ironically right and yet a lot of people in our generation still do right because you need to right it's really difficult yeah. to operate financially in this world without a bank account like we still need one for example and, yeah. and we're full crypto and it's like, how, how is that? How is that the case? And it's like, well, there's not a financial institution that allows us to uh, free, frictionlessly enter and exit the cryptocurrency world yet. Um, uh, and, and not just that, even some of the like um, some other institutions that we have to rely on, for example, when we pay our rent, it di directly gets credited from our bank account. Debited. Sorry, it directly gets <laughs> debited from our bank account. And that's because we've set up direct deposit or direct credit i'm not sure what it's called direct debit okay sure whatever but we can't withdrawn directly from her yeah. we can't have that set up with our crypto bank because that method just doesn't exist yet and yet. once that starts existing um with crypto exchanges then we won't need to have the bank for one extra reason yeah 
man. And so this is one of the reasons why I'm not super pumped about the fact that banks are going to start adopting Bitcoin, because I, I really do think that it's in the short term, it may be a net positive, but it's taking away from self-custody and self-sovereignship of owning your own funds. And I don't like that. I, I also don't like that. I think that what we will see with the banks, like I, I'd bet heavily on this, that they, they'll take the wealth simple model and not let you to withdraw them because the banks, they're, they're smart people. <laughs> it's not like they're dumb. It's not like the people running the banks are, are just willfully, bl uh, willfully blind. Yeah, it's not like they're willfully blind. They're uh, blind to what? Um, blind to Bitcoin. So it's not like they look at Bitcoin, they don't see where it's going, and they're just in denial. I think this the fact that they're starting to offer services is recognition that Bitcoin's here to stay, right? If they don't have a, a truly good method for Unless they have a different plan for it, Keegan. Because remember when um, the banks declared that you need to um, take your gold and deposit it in the bank... And then for every gold that you deposit, you get an IOU that says you have deposited this sum of gold to the bank. Right. So and for reference, that was in 1932. And the, the actually, the federal government said that you need to take your gold to the bank. No, sorry, not the bank. But the, the sure, OK, so, you know, the government said so because you have to do as your government says you need to do people went and deposited their gold to the bank. And then what 1971 was when, when the, the federal government took the whole world off the gold standard. Exactly, which yeah. meant that the piece of note that said, I owe you this much amount equivalent to gold. It was no longer backed by gold. Yeah, and was just backed by the government saying, well, now I'm telling you that this, I, I what I promised to pay the bearer a sum of $1 or $5 or how many ever dollars. Yeah, meanwhile, they still have all the gold. Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of what I'm saying with respect to how the banks are going to treat Bitcoin. Well, that, they, isn't that scary, though? It's very scary. If they don't allow you to if, withdraw your Bitcoin, then they still have the thing that's valuable. But right? that's what's going to happen. So, okay, folks, just to clarify here, when Keegan says that they're not going to allow you to withdraw your Bitcoin, what he means is you will essentially buy, um, like a ticker or a pointer an index an index to your to bitcoin if you buy it via your bank which means let's say you buy a hundred dollars worth of bitcoin and the price of bitcoin increases and let's your, say it doubles let's say it doubles so your initial investment of a hundred turns into 200 you will not be able to withdraw the amount of Bitcoin that you initially bought, because that amount will stay the same, you will only be able to withdraw the $200, which for most people might be great. Right. That's that's good if you're thinking in dollar terms. You're like, yay, I doubled my money. But if you're thinking in Bitcoin terms, then you ha you get to withdraw zero Bitcoin. You Yeah, because you've only bought the index to Bitcoin. You've never really bought the Bitcoin because banks will likely not give you the ability to own like, it directly. Own it directly. So and I'm, they might they might actually say that oh it's, we're doing this for your betterment because you won't know how to take care of your bitcoin. Yeah, and I would make the argument that that you've never owned that bitcoin. That's never that's bitcoin that you've never owned actually. Um you you can benefit from the price movement of bitcoin and if you're thinking in in US dollar terms or Canadian dollar terms or whatever fiat currency terms then yeah, you'll come out of that on a net positive. Um but you know, in the event that that Bitcoin becomes the world reserve currency, or if, even if it just... Then the banks are going to be pretty wealthy. And right. You were... We're going to be in no better off situation than than uh, than we are in now, because the, the banks and the governments will hold the thing that is valuable, gold, digital gold, which is, this is a, so this transitions us into, uh, I want to give our audience a term here, and it's called front running. 
and I'm going to define the term and talk about how that's relevant to what we just talked about. Front running is when uh, I know you're going to buy something and I buy it before you so that I get a lower price than you do. But, or I you so you buy it before me so you can offer it to me for a higher price because you know I want it. Exactly, that's exactly right. So I, so you don't buy it necessarily for a lower price. You buy it at price. I but buy it offer, at price, and you offer me a higher price. Yeah, and the act of me buying this thing would necessarily create uh, lessen the supply and, in theory, create more demand, which allows me to offer it to you at a higher price. What's uh, an example of something like that? Well, it actually happens all the time. There's a really cool movie. I think it's called Mockingbird with Jesse Eisenberg. Uh, and oh. yeah, it's a it's a real it's a true story. So this company, they're stock traders uh, working on Wall Street, and they're like, okay, let's run a line directly from their headquarters in this other state to Wall Street. And the line is going to allow them to execute trades on Wall Street a fraction of a second faster than everyone else. And since they can execute the trade faster than everyone else, they can get a better price and sell it back to the market at a higher price. And that difference is their margin. And if you're trading with millions or billions of dollars, then you're profiting a lot. That's front running in a nutshell. Yeah. So that's a real world example of how these Wall Street bankers and central bankers and, and <laughs> well, I don't know if you could say central bankers. Uh, okay, sure. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's how these traders think, right? Okay. It's like, what is the way that I can get an advantage over you? Well, one of the ways that you can get an advantage is, is by front running. and By getting something that I know you want before you get it. Right. So now this news has come out that says the US banks are going to offer custodial services for people's Bitcoin. Well, that's going to increase demand for Bitcoin. That's going to reduce supply if they're offering custodial services. You know that they have them, so you have a chance to front run the banks, right? And these banks, uh, I know that they're offering uh, these custodial services at a minimum $2 million buy-in. So you have what to- do you, What does that mean? So in order, they're not going to allow you to buy $100 with a Bitcoin, at least not to start. They're, offer, they're only offering these custodial services to people with more than $2 million. Yeah. So oh my God. this is a massive wall of money, uh, as Raul Paul, um, Raul, I, I always forget how, his, uh, how to say his name, uh, not RuPaul, uh, Raul Paul. Oh my gosh, Keegan. Did I spell, nail it? I, I don't know. I actually R-A-O-U-L-P-A-L. Oh, it's P-A-U-L, wouldn't it be? Raul Paul? We'll link him in the show notes. Sure. <laughs> uh so what, front running. Yeah, so he says this massive wall of money is coming, and that was in December, and we already seen this this smaller massive wall of money. Uh, that was the institutions, a couple of U.S. companies, MicroStrategy, Tesla, right? They allocated a small amount of their their balance sheets to Bitcoin. Now we get to see what happens when the U.S. banks play the game, and for the last decade, for the last twelve years, the retail investor, for the first time in history, has had the opportunity to front run governments, central banks, and banks. And if we, they know of this advantage though. If well, if you bought Bitcoin at any point in time in the last 12 years, you've you front ran them. You you successfully have front run the government and you participated in a basically a once in human lifetime event. But Keegan, front running in this scenario only makes sense if someone believes that they want to sell it back to the market at a higher price into uh, to to buy fiat back from the market 
well, the end game, the, the, like the best case scenario end game would be if Bitcoin becomes the world reserve currency and you no longer, there is no US dollar to trade it back to. You, suddenly you just have the thing that everyone wants. Sure, but now you're talking about one future which might be very near and then one future which is, you know, I would say pretty distant. So if someone wants to front run, that means they're not really believing that Bitcoin will one day be um, priced at, uh, well, I don't know, more than a million dollars, let's say, for example, mm -hmm. um, you're saying that they want to take the short advantage of making more in fiat um, so that they can sell it at or make a profit off of selling it to the banks because banks are going to buy it. Yeah, I, I think more so what I'm saying is you had the opportunity to buy Bitcoin first at a lower price, um, knowing that institutions will and, and banks will want to buy it later. So regardless, if, if you intend on selling Bitcoin back to the market, your Bitcoin becomes worth more to everyone else. And that, in effect, is is front running. You never need to sell it back into okay. fiat in yeah. order to, to benefit from it. Right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I, I do think front running is a concept worth understanding. And it's actually really culturally significant that we've had an opportunity in the last 12 years to uh, to get into something that has not uh been accepted well front running as you has been used uh, i think like negatively as well because when when front running is used to censor you from getting what you want because of discrimination what is that called redlining i'm not very good with my definitions <laughs> so i probably should yeah redlining something different yeah. yeah okay never mind but anyway but like frontlining can also be used for discrimination because if you know that i want it but you don't want me to get it then you can buy it and hoard it and make sure that i don't get it yeah that's right and that's kind of the the position that the bank is now, now the bank can front run the rest of the population right because right now only about 1.5 to 2.5 percent of the world population has gotten into bitcoin and so if the banks get in now, they're front running 95% of the population, right? So, <laughs> But didn't you say the buy-in was $2 million? Yeah, exactly. But so, Okay, so once the banks start buying it, the game theory outcome of that is central banks and governments are next. Once the first government gets in, it becomes too risky for any other government not to buy it. And so I do think that we'll eventually see central banks of these countries printing money to buy Bitcoin. And basically, that would be an economic attack, a speculative economic attack on their own currencies. And I, I think that we'll see that in our lifetimes. That's a very interesting scenario. I can think of a scenario where banks don't even wait for someone to have, like, oppose a $2 million buy and they can just buy it off of the money that they already are holding for so many million people right? Um, and buy Bitcoin with that, speculating that they will make a profit off of, um, of like everybody else also buying it at the same time. So all in all, though, banks <laughs> be declaring, US banks declaring that they will be custodials, custodians of Bitcoin. I still think it's a net negative for the longer term, even if it is net positive. I don't even think it's net positive. Well, here it is. It's a net positive for Bitcoiners because Bitcoiners already have Bitcoin. If you hold any amount of Bitcoin, this is good for you because your Bitcoin becomes worth more. No, you, I, you know what? Okay, that's, I feel ahead. like that's a Ponzi scheme mentality. I, well, I mean, money is a Ponzi scheme. Money in general is a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> If you have more of the thing that the world thinks is money before the rest of the world thinks it's money, then you've benefited from the pyramid that is money. What? Oh, okay. Yeah, forget it. <laughs> no, 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 no. Like, say that again, though. If you have more of the thing that is money before the rest of the world realizes it is money, then you're on top of the pyramid that is money. 
right? So Keegan, the, are you calling Bitcoin a Ponzi scheme? I'm calling all money a Ponzi scheme. Like there's like uh, in the sense that there's no there's nothing backing Bitcoin. There's nothing backing any money. There's nothing intrinsically valuable about any money or ever. Uh, so you're saying that the more people that believe in money, the like the form of money that is being used, uh, the more people that had more of it before benefit off of it? Yeah, they're necessarily at the top of, of that pyramid. You know, if we ever have some really <laughs> wild competitors, I can see them um, chop a part of this podcast and uh, declare that Keegan and Ragakshi said Bitcoin was a Ponzi scheme. Yeah, we're pro Ponzi scheme. Without any of the context. That was sarcasm, by the <laughs> that way. That was sarcasm. Um, anyway, so with respect to how did we start talking about Ponzi schemes? I don't know. You're like, hey, doesn't that sound like a lot like a Ponzi scheme? Oh, yeah, because. And then I said a confusing thing. Well, you said that uh, by everyone who has bought Bitcoin before the banks are going to start Bitcoin by buying Bitcoin, they have benefited. Or they will benefit because the price of Bitcoin will increase because there is not enough supply to meet the demand of what might be coming. Right. And when the banks start to to put their their money in the game, uh, that is unprecedented. It isn't their money, though. It is the money that somebody else wants to buy Bitcoin. Right. Their customer's money. Let's say that. Customer's money. Yeah. Yeah. Let's be respectful of the people and their money. So? Yeah. So what? Oh, I just, <laughs> I just find that as such a, uh, I guess, yeah, sure. If you bought Bitcoin before everybody else, then yeah, your Bitcoin is going to be priced at a higher valuation uh, or, but man, that's, I don't uh, comparing that to a Ponzi scheme just feels strange because uh, like, okay. So one thing that a Ponzi scheme requires is more and more people coming in at the bottom of this pyramid or more and more people like entering every single day. And with respect to Bitcoin, yes, more and more people are entering Bitcoin every single day. And the way that the market of Bitcoin works is that it is people are buying Bitcoin because they want to buy it at the price that it is. So I guess that's one thing that um, is different from a Ponzi scheme where um, when like Ponzi scheme Ponzi schemes have this one narrative in common that if you buy in right now, you will get huge returns later. And the money that you that early in, or sorry later investors put in is given to the early investors. But that's not the case with Bitcoin right. because, uh, like at least the hardcore Bitcoiners, they don't really want to sell their Bitcoin back into the market for fiat. So they aren't necessarily benefiting because they're not getting any more money from that money the market. isn't flowing to them it's not flowing up and there is no up to yeah, flow in uh, bitcoin exactly and for anyone who wants to buy bitcoin if they don't agree that uh, one bitcoin is worth sixty thousand canadian dollars they don't have to buy it because it's no one is forcing them to buy bitcoin at that price because it is traded in the free market they can say okay i want to buy one bitcoin at fifty thousand. if the price goes down there then i'm happy to spend fifty thousand to buy one bitcoin if it doesn't then i don't want to buy bitcoin they're not forced to um participate in the price that everybody agrees bitcoin is worth right and, and furthermore if you buy bitcoin then you have bitcoin that like you're actually getting something um, that you can be used in in a variety of ways. 
uh, right? You're not getting uh, nutritional supplements as we've seen in many of Ponzi schemes. Uh, you're getting something that can be traded for literally everything else in the world, right? It can be used as a medium of exchange for goods and services. That's right. So it, it's uh, that's why I think money is exempt from being called a Ponzi scheme. I know I said earlier that money, all money is a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> But like that was kind of tongue in cheek, right? Because it's not money's inherently like the most valuable thing in the world and the least valuable thing. It doesn't have any intrinsic value, but it hence, but it actually gosh. can be used to buy you anything else in the world. Oh my gosh! What are you Keaton, thinking? I really hope that people who heard you say money is a Ponzi scheme have reached this far. Yeah, I hope they did too. So you're not you're going back on what you said about the whole Ponzi scheme thing that you repeated, by the way. Well, it, it works like in a Ponzi scheme because if you bought, if you get the thing that is money earlier than everyone else realizes that is money, then you've you've benefited from that. But it's not a Ponzi scheme uh, because well, you have the thing that's valuable that can get you anything else. But if the, if it's not being sold, if there's like. Uh, profit can only be, be measured if you sell it back into something else and you measure the difference of when you bought it at versus when you sold it at. Right. And so so when I, the like, day I don't comes think that... you can call money a Ponzi scheme because even if you got in on that quote unquote money early on, if you're if you're going to use it as money, you're not going to sell it back to the market for what you bought it with in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? Wow. <laughs> Folks, if we have sufficiently confused you, then uh, please reach out to us. Drop us a line. And, uh, and say, wow, Keegan, that Ponzi scheme analogy was wild, man. What were you thinking? <laughs> uh, or Keegan and Rugakshi, this episode was thoroughly confusing. Uh, so maybe it won't be this confusing next time. Well, hold on. Can we clear this up at all before we, uh, before we part ways? Like, I know we started this whole episode with banks and how that all works um, with respect to them being custodians of your Bitcoin. Probably, I mean, I, I wonder how many of our listeners actually have $2 million sitting in an American bank. Do you want to venture a guess? Uh, uh, this, this episode might not apply to many of you, or it, may, it might not apply in the near future. I think that the U.S. bank, that was only one wow. instance of, of a U.S. bank that, uh, that says the minimum buy-in is $2 million. I wouldn't be surprised if you have banks start to offer it to, to what, everyone. You think that our audience doesn't consist of people that have two million lying around? No, I, I don't think that many people have two million lying around. It's not that I don't think that they're in our audience. I think it's just a generally uncommon thing to have two million dollars sitting around. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I don't have two million dollars sitting around. Okay. What were you saying before? Uh, is there any way that we can clear this up for our uh, to clear the whole Ponzi scheme thing? Well, out? Where did the whole two million thing come from? Uh, I wanted, oh, the bank thing. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure that people know that these banks will probably uh, end up offering Bitcoin custodianship for values less than $2 million. There was only one instance of a bank that said uh, said that, that it's a minim minimum $2 million buy-in. I believe it was JP Morgan. All right. So what do you want to clear up? <laughs> the whole Ponzi scheme thing, because we did... Right, like, okay. It was confusing. I, I admit that. Okay. Yeah. So what do you have to say? I was hoping that you could leave the whole clearing <laughs> up thing. Oh my gosh. All right. Okay. Well, money I wouldn't believe is a Ponzi scheme. And those who got in on Bitcoin beforehand have stayed in Bitcoin because they believe Bitcoin is their form of money, which is why they haven't sold Bitcoin back to the market um, in exchange for fiat, right? So money 
And then you later said that money in and of itself intrinsically really has no value because all it is used for is to meet the coincidence of wants. I like that. Which means if you want something and I have it, then I can sell it to you. And in order for me to sell it to you, what can you and I both agree is that medium to make that happen? That is money. That's the next step up from barter. So money is essentially what makes that medium of exchange as frictionless as possible. It's the vital vital human lubricant of exchange. So with respect to the price of Bitcoin being traded in the free market, that's that's going to be volatile for one. And that is or will go um, up as more and more people buy because of the very simple supply and demand equation. There's going to be less and less Bitcoin that come into circulation and are is traded in the free market. And as more and more people want to buy Bitcoin, that because that supply will shrink inevitably with higher demand, the price at which it is traded will go up. So that if you consider Bitcoin to be money right now, sure, it is volatile, volatile, but that like this is what it needs to go through until it reaches stability. And uh, with respect to the whole Ponzi scheme thing, I think Keegan was, I'm not sure what you were trying to be. Maybe you were trying to draw some sort of point. Well, I was trying to draw attention to the fact that like all money can be viewed through that lens of being a Ponzi scheme, but it also can simultaneously like if you just don't buy into the idea of money being a good thing, it all looks like a Ponzi scheme to you. Well, it, uh, so you know, again, the definition of a Ponzi scheme is if you are an early investor, then you are rewarded with m- revenue or money from later investors buying into the scheme. Excuse me. And it is called a scheme because it is not sustainable if the if there aren't any new people coming in. With respect to Bitcoin, if... Um, no one buys Bitcoin. It, it just everyone stops trading Bitcoin and um, miners are still mining. So Bitcoin is still coming into circulation. The people that have already held Bitcoin already consider Bitcoin as money. You know, even if uh, so, like Bitcoin is not going to fall. Bitcoin is not going to go to zero because people who consider Bitcoin to be money will transact with one another to use Bitcoin as money. It, that, that is what people have faith in. That is what they want to use as that medium to um, m- meet the coincidence of once. That is what will happen. Right. The network retains its value proposition, irregardless of the amount of people using it or the amount of new people entering the system. Now, if trading stops, the, the argument can also be, okay, well, if miners are not able to sell Bitcoin to the market, how are they going to pay for their electricity? Um, the electricity that they need to mine Bitcoin. Right. That's a that's a weird situation. I think that they would probably shut off their miners and then uh, the network would shrink to the size of the people who run their nodes altruistically. Yeah. So uh, then the question becomes, does Bitcoin need mining in order to be uh, held up as the network that it is and then be I used? I believe it does. And be used as the payment channel that um, like people can establish among themselves. So you're saying mining is important. Mining is extremely important. It actually might be the most important aspect of Bitcoin. Yeah. Well, it is one of the most important aspects of Bitcoin, but I'm sure that people who believe in Bitcoin will find out a way to, if, you know, hypothetical situation of trading stops, 
period that they will very hypothetical yeah yeah but they will find a way to still mine and um, pay for those costs somehow but there are enough believers in bitcoin being used as a money because of its other value propositions not related to price that it'll continue to be used as the money that it is Cool. I think we, that we did a pretty good job of clearing that up. I really apologize for all the okay. confusion that caused earlier. That was really not my intent. All right. Well, I do hope that all Sometimes of you... Sometimes we just get in the weeds. Oh, um, I hope that all of you who have listened to uh, the, our episode 15 minutes before this point have reached this point. And if you still want some of your doubts cleared up or if you want to, you know, have if you have a comment, please reach out to us. We love talking to you. And thank you to all of you who have been reaching out to us. It has been so fun conversing with you. So with that, um, this is the end of the episode. For a quick summary, we essentially talked about uh, US banks adopting Bitcoin and declaring that they will be custodians of Bitcoin. And then, of course, there were several tangents in that <laughs> uh, particular scenario. Yeah. All right, with that, thank you everyone for listening and stay tuned.